we've been looking at again and refreshing our minds about the great commission that Jesus has given to us, each and every one of us, as believers and as followers of Christ. You can refresh your mind as to what it is in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said this as he brought direction to his disciples and as as he brought direction as to where he wanted them to go with their lives in relation to their future. He said this, go out into the world and preach the gospel to every nation and every creature. All authority, he said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. This is the commission. This is the weighty responsibility that every child of God has to carry and has to fulfill with their lives, if we're going to be in step and in keeping with God's purpose for our lives and God's plan, if we're going to enter into all of the wondrous joys that God has for us as a church and individually as His followers, our lives must keep in step with this wonderful, wonderful, great commission that Jesus has laid out for us. Some I've called it the great omission because many people, you know, don't engage with this very heart of God to reach others for Him. But for us, it must always be a commissioning word, sending us out wherever we are in life, a commissioning word that makes us aware of the world around us and its needs and reach into it with the good news of the gospel. There are people every day all around us. There are people every day with heavy burdens, heavy needs that the Holy Spirit will send you and I to be an answer to and a ministry in and a bridge towards. You and I, He sends. He doesn't need eloquence. He doesn't need well-educated. Nothing wrong with it. But Wherever you are, whoever you are, He's willing to send you. Don't ever disqualify yourself. Don't ever look down on yourself. God wants to use every single one of us, not just one, two, or a few, but every single one of us in this great work in our world and in our city in bringing in a lost world to Christ Jesus. And that's what we started looking at last week. And we're going to continue on today looking at Jesus. There's nobody better to look at other than Jesus. Jesus was and is the greatest soul winner. He really is the greatest soul winner. And when you look through the Gospels, you see wonderful, wonderful testimonies of how Jesus reached so many different people in so many different ways. There's not just one set way in order to be a bridge in reaching others for Christ. There's many various ways, and Jesus demonstrates this like no other. So unique in every situation of life, reaching out to those who didn't know God, reaching out to those who had lost all hope. He was the light And the way in 
to everybody around him. And he brought God's love and God's grace wherever he went. I'm going to start by reading just three verses this morning from John chapter 1. Words that are going to give us the answer and the reason why Jesus was so successful in reaching people wherever he went. Let me read it to you. John chapter 1 verse 14 and verse 16. Verse 14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and of his fullness we have all received. John the Apostle tells us that the most prominent hallmark of Jesus when you met him was that he was full of grace and full of of truth. These were the most prominent, the most obvious characteristics of Jesus that anyone and everyone experienced when they were in his presence. Grace flowed out of him. Grace was everywhere when he was in the midst, when he was with lost people. He didn't argue with them. Sometimes he challenged people. Sometimes he brought direction and correction as he spoke the truth. But oh, the most prominent characteristic and quality of Jesus was this. That he was full of grace and full of truth. You know, our world doesn't need people wagging their finger at them. Our world does not need people shouting and condemning. And, and judging them. That is not the spirit of Christ. It really isn't. It really isn't. The overriding characteristic and quality of Jesus Christ, as John saw it, was this. He's full of glory. We beheld this glory. Not one that had come to condemn. Not one that had come to judge. But one that was full of grace and truth. And we beheld it. Wherever we went with him, whether it was up and down the highways and byways of life, whether it was in homes, whether it was in the, the religious institutions and temples and synagogues, wherever he was, grace flowed. The, the endless supply of God's grace and favor and blessing just came out of him. Wherever he was. And whatever situation he was in, that was the most prominent feature of Jesus. Why could he be trusted with such power? Why could he be trusted with such authority? Why did, did the power of God move so mightily in Jesus' life? I believe because it's because he was full of grace. He could be trusted with that power. He could be trusted with that authority and that wisdom that nobody could contend with. He could be trusted with authority because the fullness of God's grace was manifest in the only begotten Son of God. The Word made flesh. And the, the outcome of it all was that people were blessed. 
healed, made whole, delivered. Jesus is the greatest soul winner. Jesus is, he is the one that reaches anyone and everyone and has the answer for all of the complexities of life. That's what you see in Christ when you go through the Gospels. Now, we may sit here today and think, well, well, that's great for Jesus. He's the Word made flesh. He's God in the midst. He's the sinless Lamb of God. But my life in comparison to Jesus is, is disconnected. My life in comparison to Jesus is, is a far cry away from it. Well... We have to listen to the words of Jesus in relation to our lives. We have to, re- we have to listen to the, to the words of Jesus in relation to what he wants to do with us. When the disciples in John chapter 20 met privately, just after Jesus had been crucified so publicly, they thought everything was over. Why? Because they had deserted Jesus. It was a room full of failures. When you read it, John chapter 20. They thought that they could never do what God had called them to do. They they, they, They really had no hope for their future in relation to being relevant to their world. No hope at all. They had locked the doors because of fear of the Jews. They were, they were isolated, they felt alone, and they didn't know what was going to happen. They'd heard all of these rumors that Jesus had risen from the dead. What was he going to say if he ever wanted to meet up with them? What was he going to do? John chapter 20, it's an amazing scene. Jesus walks into their midst. The first thing he says is this, peace be with you. That's grace right there. That's the fullness of God's grace, calming every fear, shutting all of their insecurities down and cutting them off and giving them a brand new beginning. That's grace. Not not judgment, not judgment, not condemnation. Grace. He walks into the room. He says, peace be with you. We're going to read it in a moment. Peace be with you. You know, if Jesus had come with a, a, a ministry of condemnation and judgment, he would have walked into that room and he would have one by one taken them up on their failure, taken them up on their desertion, taken them up on their inability to stand by their promises and their convictions. It was a room full of failures, a room full of people that had no hope. Grace gave them hope. Grace empowered them. Grace said, listen, you can do it. In spite of who you've been, in spite of your failures, you can reach this world that you've seen me reach out to. In the same way that I've reached it, you're going to reach it. We'll get to it in a minute. But Jesus didn't take them to task. Jesus didn't rub their nose in their failure. He comes with his grace. Full of grace. And John said, we beheld his glory. And from the fullness of this grace, we've all received grace. That's in John chapter 1. Grace upon grace. 
Maybe he was talking about that moment where they first met Christ after he'd risen from the dead. And he cancelled out all of their failures and all of their fears when he commanded peace to be in their hearts. Brand new beginning. A private meeting with Jesus and that small group of young disciples. And he's setting them up for their future. Because their future is in the harvest field. And he wants to empower them. He wants to envision them. Listen to what he says to them. John chapter 20, verse 21 to 22. Now this is in that room where there was a presence and an environment of fear and failure and condemnation. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. These are incredible words right here. Because if the disciples wanted to understand how Jesus was going to send them, all they had to do was remember how the Father had sent him. They simply had to remember all of the things and experiences and outflows of grace that had occurred over the previous three years in people's lives as, as they'd watched Jesus, anointed by the Spirit, empowered by the Father, to heal, deliver, and bring in the harvest. Jesus said, just ex exactly how you have seen the Father send me into the highways and the byways, exactly how you've seen the Father send me into this harvest field, so I am sending you. It's not going to be any different you're going with the same power with the same authority with the same ability that I carried into my world now I'm commissioning you and assuring you so that you can be confident when you go into your world just as I went into it sent by the father so you're going in, into it sent by me and this is the confidence that you and I have it really is. Because this has not changed. This has not changed for you and I. So the question is, how did the Father send Jesus? How did he send him? If we want to know how Jesus wants to send us, how did the Father send Jesus? Well, you look through the Gospels and you see an open record of how the Father sent the Son. You see, like John openly declares in his first gospel, we beheld his glory. He was full of grace. The Father sent the Son into a world that was, that was bound by the law, that was bound by strict rules and religion, that was dark. And chaotic like our times, the Father sent His Son into our world, not full of judgment, 
not full of condemnation, not going up and down the highways and the byways, critiquing people's lives. He sent, it, he sent him into our world full of grace. In John chapter 3, verse 17, I believe it is. Verse 16, we know well. Verse 17 says this, For the Father did not send the Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. There's no condemnation coming from this mission, coming from this mandate that Jesus had from the Father. And as the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends us. And we do not go with a ministry of condemnation into our world. We do not go with a ministry of judgment. Paul said later in his epistles, we have the ministry of reconciliation. That means that our ministry to others is that we repair, we reconcile the relationship between people that have a broken connection with God. We are the repairers. We are the reconcilers. What an amazing mission. What an amazing commission. And this is what we see Jesus doing. Those disciples in that room on that day, I'm sure they were surprised because I, th I, I would have thought it would have been over. I would have thought that, you know, justly we would have been due to be condemned and criticized and judged. But grace does something that's unthinkable. Grace walks into the room and says peace. Grace walks into the room and doesn't even refer to the past, but points them to their future, which is glorious, thrilling, and fulfilling. And that's the same for you and I. What a wonderful, beautiful commission that we have, and I want to excite your heart. I want to excite your heart for the people that are around you. I want to excite your heart again for you to understand that God, by His Son, is sending you out just like the Father sent the Son. He really is. He sends us out with grace. In John chapter 1, you can read it, it's in the Bible, and it's really important if we need to make the adjustments in our mind that we make them according to God's Word, not according to what I'm saying, but make them according to God's Word. John makes it very clear. He said, the law, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He brings about a very clear distinction as to what the law is and as to what grace and truth is. Jesus ushered in what we know as the new covenant, the new testament. And he brought in the grace of God and lavished it over our world. And we are still in that new covenant Within this time in which God allows our world to continue, we are still under the time of grace whereby people can receive Christ as they believe on Him and make Him their Savior. We have the role, we have the mission to take this gospel of grace and share it with others. 
What a wonderful privilege. And I know it's so encouraging to hear many testimonies about how we all get opportunities in life to lead others to Christ. It really is a wonderful, wonderful blessing to have those opportunities whereby the Holy Spirit leads us and helps us and enables us to bring another to Jesus. There is nothing like it. There really isn't. Now I want to give you four observations that I've made about God's grace, about this grace that Jesus was full of, that he took into every situation that he was in. Four observations about God's grace as it moved and worked through Jesus for us to understand exactly how the Father sent the Son in order for us to understand how the Son sends us. Four observations. We're going to just look at two today and maybe two next week. But let me just outline these four observations for you today about the grace of God. You'll recognize them. They're self-explanatory. But you'll recognize them in your own experience of life. First observation. Grace cannot be defined, only displayed. Secondly, grace never holds our history against us. Thirdly, the third observation that we see in this grace that Jesus carried and that we carry is that grace reaches out to the unreachable. And finally, grace is the missing ingredient. Now, we're just going to pick up on the first two today and maybe look at the, the remaining two next week. But the grace of God... The grace of God is so vast, is, is so beyond what we can understand. It's impossible. Let's look at this first point. It's impossible to define it. Grace cannot be defined, only displayed. The grace that Jesus was full of, he was grace personified, okay? The grace that Jesus was full of is beyond definition. It can only be displayed. Look through the Bible for a definition about the grace of God. You won't find one. You won't find a definition as to what grace is. All you will find is page after page, record after record, testimony after testimony, is a display regarding this grace. The Bible displays grace in what it does. The Bible displays grace in the lives that it enriches, but it's impossible to define it. John, when talking about this grace, said, we beheld it, it was glorious, and he was full of it. We beheld it, it was glorious, and he was full of it. And then, in all of the Gospels, you just see this grace unpacking itself in every form of life experience, from the lowest to the highest, doing incredible things. You can't define the grace of God, but it's wonderful when we see it displayed. It really is. On Thursday night, 
in our connect or Wednesday night in our connect group, we were reading our stories book. And if you've been reading the stories in connect, it was Paul and Hillary's story this week. And what an incredible story. Their life testimony together as a couple. We read it. We read the scriptures relating to it. What a display of God's grace. Trophies of His grace. Without His grace, they testified their lives were broken. Their lives were were completely chaotic. Their lives were in a mess. But as the grace of God came into their lives, oh, the beauty, oh, the, uh, the amazing wonder and the restoration and the renewal and the future that they have. You'd never believe when Paul and Hillary stand up here and testify about God's goodness and God's grace in their lives. You would never believe that they've been through what they've been through. Why? Because His grace restores all the years that the locusts have eaten. His grace takes us from death to life. His grace takes us from darkness to light. His grace does all of this. Grace displayed. You look around the room. You hear the stories of other people. And oh, how this grace has moved so unusually and so uniquely in everybody's life. So specifically, no two stories are the same. No two life situations are alike. And yet this grace is relevant to every life, to every story. Listen, as we take this grace out, as this grace fills our heart, as we tenderly talk to others, as, as the Holy Spirit makes us aware and gives us opportunity, we don't have to define this grace. We have to simply, we have to simply call on those that we talk to to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says they shall be saved. What does that mean? They become an object of His grace, an object of His glory for Him to pour in all of the, the Bible calls it the riches of God's grace. Before we have Christ, we're so impoverished, we're so bankrupt of so many things. But the moment we place our faith, not change our behavior, but place our faith in Jesus Christ, All of the riches of His goodness, of His grace, are poured into our lives. And salvation is seen, displayed, evidenced for all to see. Wonderful. Let me read to you from John chapter 8. You'll be aware of this this story. An amazing display of grace in the midst of... Of the law, in the midst of condemnation, in the midst of judgment. Look at the resolve of grace. Look look at the transformation that takes place. John chapter 8, verse 2 to verse 11. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him, A woman caught in adultery. You see, 
you can't put life into a box. You can't fit life on the table. It just spills over the sides. Jesus is having a time of teaching. Jesus is instructing people with the Word of God. And then suddenly the spontaneity of life breaks in to the structure. What are we going to do when that happens? What are we going to do when, when life hits our theology? You see, that's the test as to whether you've got grace in your heart or not. What happens when life hits what you believe? What happens when the law or situations and circumstances of life throw people down at our feet? What are we going to do with what we believe then? When life hits our theology, that's when we see whether we're going to be gracious or judgmental. The Pharisees brought a woman that was caught in adultery in the very act, meaning not to be, you know, not to be rude, but she was pulled from the bed. That's basically what was happening. It was in the very act. And they judged the woman, not the man. And they pulled the woman. They brought her right into the room. See, the law condemns. The law judges. The law wants everything to fit. And it wants to make a public spectacle of those who have failed and those who have sinned. Hey, listen, if we go by the law, we may as well close the doors and all leave. Because all of us, all of us, right? All of us would hang our head in shame. All of us. And I'm the first to say it. I'm a recipient of grace. I really am. So she was caught in adultery when they had set her in the midst. Oh, man. This was their moment. They were going to catch Jesus. They'd thought about this. There's no way that he has the wisdom to get around the intricacies of the law that's been set by Moses. No way. One man, one man, the God-man, Jesus, full of grace and truth, in a nation that is full of religious rules, controlled by Pharisees and Sadducees, not understanding the purposes of God and the time of change that had come in their midst. When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, My God, what audacity. Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that she should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, 
Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the least. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, with the woman, le- with, with the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those who accuse, where, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This woman didn't need a definition of grace. She'd been caught, dragged through the streets, made a public spectacle of shame in the midst of many people that Jesus was teaching. Jesus fearlessly stands in the grace that he was filled with. And he defends this woman, disarms the law. The law had brought her to the feet of Christ and wanted condemnation. But grace had come to save her. He'd been sent by the Father to defuse the law, to take the penalty of the law upon himself and bring salvation and wholeness and forgiveness, which he did in that moment. Where are your accusers? He says, where are those that that would condemn? They're, They're gone. They are no more. That's the power of grace. This is the grace that Jesus demonstrated, that he reminded his disciples of when he said, I'm sending you out as the Father sent me. Their minds must have raced to all of these different various situations as to how the Father sent Jesus because now Jesus was sending them. It was imperative that that they received this same grace that filled his heart. It was imperative that they walk in like manner as he walked if they were going to meet the needy world in which they lived. Full of grace and truth. Grace cannot be defined, only displayed. Secondly, grace never holds our history against us. Aren't you glad about that? Grace never holds your history against you. Now, this is true of both Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament, for instance, God said, as far as the east is from the west, I will remember your sin no more. What's that? Grace. That's grace right there. Not holding the history of his people against them, but forgiving them. God, right back in the beginning, in the Old Testament, said to Moses that he was slow to anger, rich in mercy, full of great love. What's that? Grace. Jeremiah as he left 
Jerusalem, as it was ransacked by the, the, the Babylonian army, looked at the devastation and the destruction of the temple and all of the people scattered and being led away into exile for 70 years, said the steadfast love in the midst of all of that disaster, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. They were going towards Babylon thousands of miles away to live for 70 years. But as they went, what was God doing? He was saying, I'm gracious towards you even though you've brought this about on yourself. God is a God of grace, not a God of judgment, not a God of condemnation, not in the time in which we live anyway. Yes, there will be a judgment, but not at this period until God says that this period of grace is closed. We are to be gracious to the world about us. We are to be gracious to the men and women that we see every day in our workplaces, in our homes and families. The grace of God must be the foremost quality characteristic of our lives that people experience if we are going to be a light in their darkness as Jesus was a light in his world. Grace never holds our history against us. Mark chapter 2 shows us this very, very powerfully. Let me read it to you. Verse 3 to verse 12. Mark chapter 2. It says this. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise, take your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out of, the pres out of their presence, out of the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. What's the message that comes from this man's life. What's the message from this situation that we see in Mark chapter 2 to us today as we go out from our world, uh, from, from this place into our world? What's the message? Every single one of us see people every day paralyzed by life. 
not necessarily physically in the condition that this man was in, but we could, we could name many situations that people are just bedridden, bedridden in their life because of the choices that they've made, bedridden, paralyzed by series of choices that have been wrong. And as a result, they carry the consequences of those wrong choices and they're under the consequences of those choices and they cannot remove the consequences of their choices from their life. This man was lowered before Jesus. Jesus forgave him his sin. What's that grace? That's the grace of God. Forgiving his sin. Salvation. And then suddenly there's a murmur. And you know, the, the grace of God is so radical that these men, these religious men that were in the room actually called Jesus a blasphemer. And yet Jesus, answering their questions, even though they were unspoken, by his grace raised that man to his feet, giving him new life, ability to walk and go into his future, equipped and well able to live again. What is that? That's grace, God's grace. Not holding a man's history against him, but relieving him of his burden of sin and enabling him to go into a future set free and renewed by life. It really is. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in a moment. This week ahead of us. All around us, there will be people that Jesus wants to display his grace to. There will. We are the means. We are the vehicle. We are the carriers, the bridge. The ambassadors, the Bible calls us, that take this good news to a lost world. You say, but Dave, I'm not really sure how to do that. I understand that. We all understand that. We all understand the pressures. We all understand the ridicule, the rejection. Sometimes the negativity that comes as a result of us sharing our faith. But do you know, as we do it, as we look for those opportunities and ask the Holy Spirit to enable us to take hold of them and labor in them and with them, I believe that we're going to see people receive the good news of the gospel of His grace. And we're going to see people come just like that woman from under the condemning, harsh environment of judgment set free from accusations from the past set free from the guilt and the shame that's attached to their lives 
He set us free of shame. He set us free of guilt. He's removed things from our past just like he did in that woman's life. And I believe as we tenderly talk to people and gently encourage them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with simplicity. With simplicity like those early disciples did. We will see a display of God's grace in the lives of people. And also, we're going to see powerful encounters, powerful testimonies. As we simply hold forth, this is what the Bible says, holding forth the word of life, not the word of condemnation, not the word of judgment, not the word of criticism, holding forth the word of life. You can only hold forth the word of life to a lost world when the grace of God is filling your heart and your mind. Holding forth the word of life. We're going to see those that are paralyzed by life situations, bound, imprisoned, captive, by wrong choices held by consequences that they can't set them free themselves free from we are going to see it with our eyes as we are not ashamed of the gospel like paul said i am not ashamed of the gospel of jesus christ because it's still the power of god unto salvation it really is and as we use our voice our voice and our witness is a very, very important element in all of this. As we use our voice, not to carry condemning words, not to carry judgmental words, not to, my God, if people had judged me, I would have been in a, in a real mess. But God sent a laborer to me that loved me in my ignorance. God sent a laborer to me that was tender with his words. God sent a laborer to me that was willing to come after the decision that I made and disciple me and take me under their wing and bring me on and grow me up into the things of God. God sent laborers, many laborers to me and many laborers to you. Not that criticized you or condemned you, but were gracious to you and tenderly loved you and cared for you. And you are what you are today. Because of the grace of God and because of their input and their work into your life. That's the example that they've set. That's the example that the, the disciples set as they believed Jesus' words in John 20. Because they went as they were sent. And oh, how the grace of God went right through the world. And to every nation. Let me say this to you finally. Your first introduction, your first introduction to salvation was through grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace was your first introduction to this salvation and this wonderful gift that you could not possibly earn or acquire. Faith was the bridge and the means into it. And that was even given by God. And then finally, we're encouraged by Paul 
as he speaks in 2 Corinthians verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 7. To abound in grace, to abound in it. Go out into your world and abound in grace. Go out into your workplace, just abound in grace. Abound in this love. Abound in this mercy. Abound in this caring, this encouraging. This, this fellowship that God gives us. Paul says this, therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace. Abound in this grace. What grace? The same grace that John saw when he beheld Jesus and his glory. When they, when they witnessed it working throughout all of the regions, amidst all of the many, many tens of thousands of people, Paul said, don't ever forget to abound in that grace that we've received at salvation and that we've witnessed in Christ as he came into our world. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. For your word that directs us and encourages us. It's not simple. It's not hard, sorry. It's simple. It really is. It's simple. We just have to allow your grace and your love and your mercy to fill us, to capture our hearts. And then from that innermost place of abundance of life, we can be a blessing to others. Lord, I pray as we go out into this next week, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us divine appointments set up, arranged by you. And Lord, I pray that our voice would tenderly speak your word, apply your word, pour in the oil and the wine and bandage the wounds of the world around us we pray through our hands through our involvement and the actions that we display in Jesus name and all God's people said I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet listen let's be expectant we're going to sing but let's be expectant for this week ahead to reach those beyond our lives as we go out into the world. God bless you.